Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for being here. I have faith. Who are my Who are my grinders? Who are my Who are my rakers? Who is willing to admit in the house of God you just let your leaves blow onto your neighbor's lawn? Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. You're out there. All right. Well, uh, again, thanks for being with us in person, uh, being with us online. Uh, if we have met, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here with James and, and some others. And a lot going on here at Faith, all the things that James mentioned. In addition to that, out in the uh, lobby, uh, folks from the Kristen Hagland Foundation are out there, and they would love to talk to you about a, a walk that they have coming up for that. So there's just a ton going on here. Um, myself and a team got back last night from the DR, uh, from a mission trip there, which was uh, really exciting. Uh, we'll have more on that in, in weeks to come, but um, imagine a community where 95% of the homes, uh, you have a mom and kids, and there's absolutely no dad in the picture, and those people are not welcome in church, because in that community, you have to have all your, your, all your ducks in a row to come to church, and Palcomo Soy is a church that we partner with in the Dominican and they are doing incredible things in that community. And our team got to be part of that for a week. It was awesome. So, um, but we are, we are in the last week today of a series that we've entitled Better Together. And um, in this series, we're looking at this idea um, of just how a culture of isolation impacts us as a community and as individuals and how that we're really better off together than we are in isolation. In fact, kind of our tagline for this series has been that a little bit of solitude can be beneficial. It's not bad to get alone every now and again. But ongoing isolation will starve our souls. And so we've been looking at different ways that we are better together than we are alone. And so in week one, we looked at how we were better together with Jesus. That, that apart from Jesus, in isolation from Jesus, spiritually we are dead. But with Jesus, when we're connected to him, through faith, that there's healing, there is life, there is forgiveness, there is freedom. And then in week two, we looked at this idea that we are better together on purpose. That while there is breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for your life. And when you live into that purpose, everybody around you wins. And when you don't live into that purpose, Everybody around you loses. You're, you're de- you, you are denying people around you of the grace of God they are meant to experience through you when you fail to live on purpose. And then last week, Pastor James talked to us about we're better together in community. As he would, you'd expect him to. Pastor James got all theological on you, right? And talked about this idea that God is communal in his very nature and is, is image bearers. As individuals who are made in the image of God, we are meant to be communal. And when we do the hard work of community, there's a richness we experience in life that we can't get anywhere else. And so as we wrap things up today, we're going to kind of take this full circle, and we're going to talk about this idea that we are better together on mission. That, that this Jesus who we have come to put our faith in, this Jesus who we are serving with our lives, this Jesus who we are trying to grow like as we live in community with one another, we are better when we share with others what we ourselves have found. So let, let's take a minute and pray and invite God to be part of this, and then we'll wrap things up for uh, this series today. Father, just thank you for um, just a great week for our team down in Dominican 
Thank you so much that we're able to navigate things like hurricanes and earthquakes and none of that even had any kind of significant impact on us. Thank you for the blessing that our church was able to be to their church and in turn the blessing that their church was to us. I just pray for Tammy and Hochi and the ministry that they are leading, that you would pour out your life onto that. Father, we just pray as we wrap things up today, that you would open our hearts and our minds to you and to your truth, and you would help us to see where we need to live more deeply into that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at the the beginning of his book, uh, the Apostle John, as he you know, just shares his biography of Jesus' life. He talks about a preacher um, who in some ways, in preacher circles, would be kind of called a bad preacher. His nickname was JTB. Anybody? Ooh, look at you guys. That's right, John the Baptist, right? And in uh, and, and, and some preacher circles, John would be like, this is a bad preacher. Now, I, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but here's, here's the problem with John the Baptist. John the Baptist would talk about other preachers in a way that would tempt his people to go and check those other preachers out and maybe even leave his place and go to their place instead. You don't do that as a good preacher. You know better than that, right? Like it's, listen, as a good preacher, all you young, aspiring preachers, right, you don't dog the competition out. All right? you, don't, you don't just outright criticize other, other preachers. That makes you look immature and petty. What you do is, when you talk about other preachers, you have subtle veiled criticism, right? You know, and you know, so you might, and if you're really wise about it, you'll tailor that criticism specifically to the audience you're talking to. So you might say, well, yeah, you know, Jack's, Jack's great ministry over there. They're doing incredible things at that church, you know, but uh, I know how important community is to you and the church's involvement in community and their ministry model's kind of ingrown and isolated, but they're doing good things over there, right? You're going to be subtle about it. John doesn't even do that. John the Baptist just flat out talks about other preachers and says amazing things about them. Like he... The way he talks about Jesus, who was a rival preacher in his time, he talked about Jesus like Jesus was the greatest preacher you could ever expect to meet. For example, we'll we'll read about John and what he has to say about Jesus. Um, It it starts off this way. It says, the next day, right? And and before we even go any further, let's take a minute and talk about the next day because what happens previously ties into what we're about to see here. So John's ministry has just been exploding. It's all the important metrics, you know, attendance and commitments and baptisms and giving, they're all up and to the right. So much so that people are beginning to wonder about John. They're like, hey, this guy might be the Messiah. This guy might be the, the, the guy we have been hoping for and praying for for centuries. He's going to set us free from our enemies. He's going to you know, bring the people back to faithfulness. And so they begin to ask John, hey, are you the Messiah? And again, John blows it. He just flat out tells them, no. Don't lie, John, but don't, do, don't be that direct. Leave some uncertainty. You can get some momentum off of here, right? No, John just tells him, no, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, not only am I not the Messiah, my job is to get people ready for the Messiah. And when he shows up, 
He's so much better than me, I'm not worthy to tie the guy's shoes. Now, th this is what happened the previous day. So the next day, John sees Jesus coming. And he, and he says, he's got his disciples with him, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, scholars debate is to specifically what John had in mind when he makes his statement about Jesus. Some think that maybe he's remembering, you know, Abraham. You have Isaac and Abraham, and they're heading up the mountain, and Isaac knows he's heading up there. He thinks he's heading up there to sacrifice his son. And as they're making their way up, Isaac makes an astute observation. We got wood, Dad. I know. I'm carrying it. We got fire. I can see it. But unless you got a lamb in your pocket, like, how's this going to work? And Abraham says, God's going to provide the lamb. Or maybe some folks think John had the Passover in mind. Every year at Passover, Jews would swarm into Jerusalem. And they would sacrifice these lambs. And they would have a meal in remembrance of what took place there last night in Egypt. They would remember how God let everybody in Egypt know, hey, had all these plagues, one more is coming, and this is how it's going to work. Every home that does not sacrifice a lamb Take the blood and paint it over the door. Every home that doesn't do that, the firstborn son, the firstborn of the male animals is going to die. And for every home where they've sacrificed that lamb and they've painted the blood over the door, I will pass over that home. And so that night comes and that's Pharaoh's done. He lets the Israelites go. He sets them free from slavery in Egypt. Some folks think John has the whole sacrificial system in mind. At the time John makes his statement, every morning in Jerusalem, it starts with the sacrifice of a lamb. Every evening in the temple, it ends with the sacrifice of a lamb. And then all day long, people are bringing guilt offerings and sin offerings for the wrongs they've committed. And oftentimes, they were lambs. Some people even think John had another preacher in mind when he made this statement. That he was thinking of Isaiah. Long before Jesus ever came onto the scene, Isaiah says this about the Messiah. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we have been healed. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Now, personally, I, I think John had a, kind of a mixture of these things in mind. He says to his disciples, he's like, you guys, look. You see Jesus? That's the Lamb of God. I think John had in mind that Jesus is the object of hundreds of years of prophecies made about the Messiah to come. That in Jesus, there is the fulfillment of all the Mosaic law. That in Jesus, there is one who's going to take care of people's guilt and shame. And so he's, saying, he's like, you guys, there is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is going to make a sacrifice so great that sin will be dealt with once and for all. Now from one preacher to another, 
That's a pretty good reference. But John doesn't stop there. He continues. Next, he says about Jesus, he says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. Now, you read that and you're like, what, what are you talking about, John? <laughs> like, what's with the double talk? He's after me, he's before me, what, what's going on? Here's the deal. And Bible nerds, you can help me out. Who's older, Jesus or John? John, yeah. John is about six months older than his cousin Jesus. So part of what John is saying is, he's like, hey, you know, like, Jesus came after me. And what John is saying is, I'm older than Jesus. Like, I'm older than Jesus. He's my little cousin by about six months. But then John is saying, he came before me. See, part of what John is doing here is he's recognizing the, the, the pre-existent Jesus. For, for John, life began as a human being at conception. But John is recognizing that, that, that Jesus, b- before he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and rented room in you know, Mary's womb for three trimesters, he existed. Before John, before Abraham was, before the creation of the world, before he came to us as God with skin on, Jesus was the preexistent one. And so John tells his disciples, he's like, hey, you see Jesus? That's my little cousin, but he's kind of a big deal. Like, like my life began when Elizabeth and Zacchaeus got lucky. Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. And, and if that's not enough, John keeps going, right? John says this next, he says, I myself did not know him. Now, I don't think John is saying I didn't know who my cousin was. Their, their moms were tight. They probably did family gatherings together, celebrated holidays together. I think John is saying, I didn't realize growing up my little cousin was a Messiah. But then John has this experience where he, he begins to figure it out. You see, John's, a big piece of his ministry is John is baptizing people. And it's different than the baptism that James was talking about. John's baptism, it was... You had a group of Jewish people going, hey, we want to publicly declare that we're going to try and straighten our lives out and get ourselves ready for the coming of the Messiah. And so John's baptizing people and doing this, and Jesus shows up one day and says to John, hey, I'd like you to baptize me. And John says, hey, I know you. If one of the two of us should be baptizing the other, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus insists, you know, that John baptizes him. And there's a whole other message we could spend on unpacking why that is. But when Jesus is baptized by John, this thing happens that, that John had been told, and I don't know how, but John had been told by God that something unique was going to happen when he baptized an individual and he would know it was going to be the Messiah. And so, you know, John says, hey, I, I did not know him, but there's this idea, it was revealed to me, John says. That, that I'm going to baptize this individual, and when I baptize this individual, I'm going to see the Spirit like, come down from heaven in a visible kind of way and land on this person. And God has told me, when I see that happen, that's the Messiah. So John will say, like, it was revealed to me. You know, that, that, that I'm going to baptize this individual. The Spirit is going to come down on him. And so John says, I have seen and testify that this is God's 
chosen one. John says, hey, you see Jesus. He's the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. God revealed to me this thing was going to happen. I watched it go down with this Jesus guy. So John, as he discovers who Jesus is, even though it makes him a bad preacher, John cannot help himself. He's got to tell people around him who he's discovered Jesus to be. And then it happens. John should have known it was going to happen, but it happens. He starts losing followers to Jesus. We read, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So there goes John again, you know, just talking about how good Jesus is. I mean, instead of saying, There's Jesus, good guy. He's a little young, though. There's Jesus. He's a great teacher, but he really doesn't have any kind of formal education. No, John is like, there is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's like, no other preacher you're ever going to meet. And those two disciples, they go following after Jesus. Just the first of many who John's going to lose to Jesus. And so we read that when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He says, come and you will see. So they went to where he was staying and spent the day with him. So one of these guys is Andrew. One of them, most scholars believe, is the, the Apostle John who wrote this book. They hear John the Baptist talking about Jesus. And they decide, we need to go see this guy for ourselves. And in a weird stalker kind of way, they follow Jesus, right? And Jesus engages them in conversation. When they ask about him, he's like, come on. Come and see for yourself. And they spend the day with Jesus. And we don't know how the conversation went exactly. But by the time they get to the end of that day, everything John has been telling them, Jesus is, is the ultimate one who's going to deal with sin. Jesus is the pre-existent divinity. Jesus is the Messiah we have been waiting for. Everything John had been telling them, they discover for themselves. And so at the end of the day, Andrew decides he, he's got to do something now. So the first thing Andrew did was went and find his brother Simon to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew figures out for himself who Jesus is, and Andrew cannot help but tell the most important person in his life, his brother Peter, about Jesus. And then Andrew's like, you know what? It's not good enough for me to just tell you about Jesus. i got to take you to a place where you can meet him for yourself. Now, we've seen this pattern twice. We've seen it with John, we've seen it with Andrew. In case we haven't picked it up yet, let me share it with you one more time. We see it again a third time with a guy named Philip. So, the next day, Jesus just will not quit, right? The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, come and follow me. Now, follow me is first century rabbi code, all right? If a, if a rabbi, a teacher, saw a kid who they thought, you know, I see myself in that kid. 
In fact, I see enough of myself in that kid that I'm convinced that kid has what it takes to be like me. The rabbi would say to the kid, come and follow me. And that was an invitation to that kid to come and be the rabbi's student, to be his disciple. So Jesus makes this offer to Philip, right? And Philip goes and spends the day with Jesus. And again, we we don't know all that went down that day, but we know by the end of the day, Philip finds what John found. Philip finds what Andrew found. He becomes convinced about who Jesus is. And Philip cannot keep this to himself. He's got to go tell his friend Nathaniel about it. And so he goes and he he tracks Nate down and, and Philip finds Nathaniel and he tells him, we have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, here's the thing about Nate. Nate's got some biases, he's got some prejudices, he's got some preconceived notions about people, right? And so when when Nate hears this, Nate says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He doesn't like the place, he doesn't like the people who come from the place. Now try and put this into a modern context. Let's say Nate is from Ann Arbor. (laughs) See where this is going, right? And, and, And Philip's like, Nate, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus from Columbus of Ohio. And Nate is like, Columbus? Can anything good come out of that cesspool of human refuse? And Philip is like, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And so Nate does. And Nate spends a day with Jesus. And by the end of the day, Nate discovers what John discovered, and what Andrew discovered, and what Philip discovered. And the way he puts it is this. He says, says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, we haven't picked up the pattern that we've seen with John and Andrew and Philip. Here it is. Simply this. I discover who Jesus is. I tell others about who I've discovered Jesus to be, and I try and help others meet Jesus for themselves. John discovered who Jesus was. Going to cost him his followers, his ministry altogether. He didn't care. He was going to tell others who he discovered Jesus to be. And he created a context where his disciples could meet Jesus for themselves. Andrew discovered who Jesus was. He first thing he does is he's going to tell Peter about who he discovered Jesus to be. And then he's going to take Peter to meet Jesus. Philip discovers who Jesus was. He's going to tell Nathan about who he discovered Jesus to be. He's going to come and see. Come and meet this guy for yourself. Very simple pattern. I discover who Jesus is. I tell others who I've discovered Jesus to be. And I try and help others meet Jesus for themselves. See, this pattern, I would contend, is part of how we live into the mission that Jesus left us as his church. Jesus said to us, go and make disciples. Part of how we make disciples is when we've discovered who Jesus is, is We're going to tell others about 
who he is and help them meet him for themselves. And we do this not only because this is the mission that Jesus left for us, but we do this because of who we have discovered Jesus to be. And I say we're bringing things around full circle this week, and we are. And the first week, I shared a little bit with you about some of my journey about how I discovered who Jesus was. And for me, prior to that, when I was living in isolation from Jesus, again, my life was, it was a mess. Like I said in week one, spiritually, I was dead. And I knew I was dead. I was so desperate to be alive. Nothing I tried helped. I was dead. I wanted to be alive. And I just couldn't change that myself. Emotionally, it created all kinds of depression in me. Enough so that I wasn't sure that I wanted to do this anymore. Relationally, things were not good. My relationships with my, my, my parents, my relationships with my siblings, they were very dysfunctional. I was young enough not to care. I was young enough I really didn't even understand it, but they were incredibly dysfunctional. My relationships with my friends, they were all conditional. It was, it was all conditionally based relationships. As far as like the direction of my life, I thought, okay, life is about money and power. That's what I'm going to pursue. That's all there is. And as far as like brokenness in my world, outside of the fact that I was a liar and a thief and had a filthy mouth and a raging porn addiction and I abused alcohol regularly and I was violent and angry, I was good outside of that. Kind of had things down, right? I look back at my life and the direction that I was heading in. And if I just play the tape forward, moving in that direction, it's frightening to me to think about where my life would have gone. What kind of destinations I would have arrived at. No doubt in my mind that if I had continued to move in the direction that I was going, that in addition to my pornography addiction, I'd have been an alcoholic. That my dysfunctional relational patterns would have cost me my marriage. That my lying and my stealing, which most often took place at work, would have cost me at least one job, if not more. That my angry, violent tendencies would have led to me abusing my kids. And before you say, oh, you're being too hard on yourself, or, oh, there you go, preacher's dramatic, you know, you're just you know, blowing this thing up. Listen to me. I don't have to go back any further than two, two generations to find every one of those things full-blown in somebody I was related to. There is a family history, a propensity for this on both sides of my family. These are the destinations my predecessors arrived at. And I was heading for them. And then I met Jesus. And he changed the direction of my life. Today I'm married. And I like being married. And it's the same person for 30 years now. I got two kids. My, you should give my wife a hand. She's put up with this for 30 years. That's right. 
I have two kids. I got a good relationship with my kids. I'm proud of them. They are following Jesus. They're good kids. I have friends who have my back, whether I deserve it or not. I have meaning. I have purpose in my life. I know what it is to be forgiven and free. The past doesn't own me. Sin doesn't determine the direction I'm moving in. Jesus is the best thing in my life. Yeah, part of why I'm going to try and help others understand who he is and meet them, yeah, that's part of the mission, but for goodness sake, he's the best thing in my life. Why in the world wouldn't I want to tell other people about him and help them meet him? See, when we live on mission, we and everybody around us, we're better together. So the question becomes, okay, well, how do we do that? And, and we tend to make it way more complicated than it needs to be. So we're going to help uncomplicate it, decomplicate it. I don't think that's a word, but whatever. I was up late. All right, so on your chair, you came in, you found two cards. What I want you to do is pull the first one out that says Frank on there. Get out your Frank card, grab a pen. There should be one if you don't have one with you in the seat pocket in front of you. And Frank, very simply, is an acronym. Stands for friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and coworkers and classmates. And yes, I know coworkers and classmates starts with a C and not a K. Work with me, all right? We're trying to make an acronym here, all right? So, sharing who you've discovered Jesus to be and helping other people find him, it starts with an intentional awareness of who God has placed in your life that does not know Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to start today. You're going to, we're going to start the homework today in class, and you're going to continue as you go out throughout the week, all right? You got a friend who doesn't know Jesus. Just write their first name down there. Who is the pagan who you are related to, who just, just brings all kinds of drama to family gatherings, and you, you like celebrate when they don't come, right? Who's your relative? Who does not know Jesus? Write their name down. Who's the acquaintance? Maybe at the coffee shop, maybe at the gym, maybe at the daycare. Who you see and they don't know Jesus. Who is the godless, vile person in your neighborhood? Who's got a godless neighbor who does not know Jesus? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, mine lives across the street and to the right, John. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, you know, who's, who's your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? You have a coworker, a classmate, who doesn't know Jesus. Sharing who I've discovered Jesus to be, helping somebody else find the Jesus who I've found, it begins with being aware, intentionally aware of who God has placed in my life. They are not there by accident. Who has God placed in your life? Who doesn't know him? And then, living on mission, it just continues as we engage in three simple activities. Number one, you're going to pray for the people on your list. You're going to pray that God would make their hearts receptive to him and his truth. You're going to pray for opportunities to share with them about who you've discovered Jesus to be. You're going to pray for opportunities 
to invite them to meet Jesus for themselves. And again, we, we make this way more complicated than it needs to be. But when it comes to sharing who you've discovered Jesus to be, all you got to do is share your story. This is what my life was like before I found Jesus. This is how I found him. This is how my life is different now. You're just sharing your story. And then as far as like helping them meet Jesus themselves, that's where the second card comes into play. On your seat is an invite card for the series we're going to start next weekend. It's called Predecide. This series is incredibly practical and relevant to the life of the person you have in your life who does not know Jesus. It will be helpful to those of us who know Jesus, but here's part of the strategy, all right? My hope is that your friend, your neighbor, your relative, your acquaintance, your coworker, whoever, they're going to come to church. They are going to hear biblical truth in a way that just they're going to go, oh my goodness, that makes sense. That is so relevant to my life and all these different areas. Maybe what the church is saying about a relationship with Jesus is relevant and it makes sense too. So all you got to do, you're going to hand the card to your friend and be like, hey, we're doing this great series on decisions, how they make us, how we, you know, we make them and they make us. Would love to have you come. If you're like, there's no way my friend's going to darken the door of a church. They, just, they, they won't do it yet. Invite them to trunk or treat. If your friend has kids or grandkids, you will not find an easier half step between church and, you know, coming, coming to church and where they are right now than trunk or treat. Invite them to trunk or treat. So, we're going to finish. And as we do, I want to I want to invite everybody in the room, everybody online, to commit themselves to one of two things. And really, what you would commit yourself to it depends on where you're at with Jesus. For those of us who know Jesus, I want to invite you to commit yourself to living on mission for the next three weeks. To every day, pray for the people on your Frank list. Every day, look for an opportunity to share Jesus with the people on your Frank list every day, look for an opportunity to invite the people on your Frank list to come to church or to come to Trunk or Treat. If you know Jesus, I want, to I want to invite you to committing yourself to living on mission. And if today you're sitting in a room, you're watching online, and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to commit your life to the Lamb of God who laid down his life. Not just for the sins of the world, but for you. For your sin. To set you free. And so we're going to pray, but if today you're willing to commit yourself to live on mission, if today you're willing to commit yourself to Christ, either one, and we don't do this at church often, but either one, I want to invite you to stand up right now. Because I want to pray specifically for you. So if today you're willing to commit yourself to live on mission, today you're willing to commit yourself to Christ, I want to invite you to stand up, and then we're going to pray. Father, for my brothers, for my sisters, who want to commit themselves to your mission, Father, we just pray that you would that you would help us just to be aware 
of what Christ has done in our lives. To let that motivate us to live into the mission that you have called us to. Father, help us to be aware of the people you have in our lives, not by accident, who you have in our lives. Help us to be faithful to pray for them. Help us to look for and take advantage of opportunities to share what we ourselves have discovered. Help us to look for and be faithful to take advantage of opportunities to invite them to come and see the Jesus we've discovered. Fathers, for, for just for others of us who are here today, who are watching online, who've never said yes to this Jesus who came to take away the sin of the world. Today's the day we realize we're ready. And so we just confess, Father, we are broken. We have sinned. We can't fix this ourselves. We can't make this right ourselves. We need a Savior. We need the Lamb of God. Today we want to put our hope, our faith, our trust in Him. In His life, in His death, in His resurrection. We want to follow Him. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.